Canto 7 of The Paradise begins with Justinian singing a hymn that, as the commentators remark, is a bit of a funny mix of Greek and Hebrew. He sings, Hosanna, Lord God of hosts, who illuminates with your brightness the blessed fire of these realms of the heavens. Its linguistic amalgam that comes together in praise is then echoed by what happens next because Dante describes how Justinian and all the other souls started to whirl around and their entudeness, um, which is a neologism Dante coins, joins together in one light, in one aerial, in one halo. And then suddenly they disappear in a shower of sparks um, and leave Dante and Beatrice alone in what Dante calls sudden space. And I think this dramatic opening sets up the theme of this canto, which is still very much in the spirit of Mercury, picking up on this notion of dialectic, how two things seemingly disparate um, seemingly maybe paradoxical or conundrums, not at all clear how they might come together, do in fact when a new thing, a third thing, is revealed. Now I think Justinian and the other souls have returned to the Imperium. They, as it were, descended to the sphere of Mercury in Paradise to show Dante how they had wrestled with bringing the two lights together, the light of their own souls, their own desire for glory, um, even when um, it was good, that had wrestled with the divine light unimpeded. Um, and that's part of their generosity, um, that they're prepared to show that to Dante, so Dante can understand something further, which facilitates his growing sight, his ascent. And appropriately enough, um, Dante is left in this sudden space um, with a burning conundrum, a burning question. He is wrestling to put this entudinous together um, into the one light. It's what he must do to, as it were, follow them more steadily, even as they've shot off back to the highest heavens. But Dante also says that he was too overawed to speak um, he stood before Beatrice saying, I must ask her, I must ask her. And yet her very presence, which stuns Dante with its reflection of the fullness of the divine, causes him to be silent. Although also I think something else has been hinted at here. Um, that The paradox that he's been left with, I think he fears might be heretical. He has a question that he needs to ask, but he's not even really sure whether he's allowed to ask it. And yet, in this sphere of Mercury, it's often that which seems beyond the bounds that this tricksteric spirit um, wants us to ask, because it's by asking these questions that actually we progress. This is hinted at because Dante says that um, Beatrice then looks at him and he sees the love in her eyes, and it's a love which would bring comfort even to a soul who was to burn, he says. So there's a hint 
here in this um, reference to um, the burning of people um, that this is just isn't about the burning of divine love but it's got mixed up in his mind with the burning of the heretics um, and then even more striking is that Beatrice replies that she can see what Dante wants to ask because her intuition is infallible now that's quite an extraordinary passing remark for Dante the poet um, to say that a human soul is infallible um, a female human soul even more so particularly at the times is infallible um, he's hinting here that the heretical thought that he fears he's having actually can be met by the fullness of divine wisdom the infallible wisdom that stands before him so this is two seemingly unmixable things are actually going to come together and produce a new sight which actually is the deepest truth of things all along it's you know it's so striking that this is how divine truth is revealed here in this sphere of mercury now what beatrice with her infallible intuition can see dante is stuck on is a question about something that justinian has just said um, Justinian has actually rehearsed the very standard medieval line that whilst the crucifixion was a just vengeance for human failure, for human sin, it was then avenged by God who destroyed the Jerusalem temple in 70 AD. Um, it's actually a direct reference to the deeply uncomfortable thread within standard Christianity that is anti-Semitic, um, that has branded the Jews and deicides, God killers. And it's hard to read clearly, but Dante is now beginning to pick this up because he's saying that he doesn't actually understand this business of the just vengeance, justly avenged, um, in this destruction of the temple. You know, what can this really possibly be about? Why would a god need to take vengeance against, well, any people, let alone the Jews, especially since the crucifixion has been seen as part of God's divine plan? And what Beatrice first does is lay out to Dante a fairly standard, again, account across events, not just now of human history, as Justinian had rehearsed, but of mythological history, beginning with Adam, who was created originally aligned with God, but whose will, um, as Beatrice puts it here, who wasn't able to curb his will and so stay aligned with God. Um, this is sin entering the world, um, humanity falls into this deepest abyss um, which it's been in ever since one way or another until the word of God um, Jesus descends um, to unite the estranged nature of humanity back with its divine nature um, as it was created and so therefore also with the divine that is the fairly standard account of the Christian intervention in history to bring humanity back to God. But Beatrice then says, look, let's pay this more attention. Look with your inner eyes and let's see if we can evolve more 
out of this story. Um, in the dialectical way, she's put the kind of standard Christian proposition to Dante, but now she's going to undercut it and see whether there's actually more wisdom, more truth that needs to be seen. And she continues, actually, first of all, by kind of ramping up the pressure for Dante even more, because she says, look, surely this explains Justinian's remark um, that the crucifixion pleases God because God gets God's just vengeance um, in the crucifixion. But also, she says, it pleases the Jews, um, those who didn't see that this was God. Now, this all feels pretty uncomfortable now, and it's quite a relief, therefore, to read that it leaves Dante feeling very uncomfortable. Um, it's just worth remembering that this substitutionary theory of the crucifixion was still relatively new on the scene in Dante's time. Um, it really was first articulated fully by Anselm in his book Why God Became Man, which came out actually in the 11th century, um, and Dante's now writing in the 14th, and he's picking up actually on a an unexpected reaction to Anselm's theology, um, which had been about vengeance and purity and, and all that, um, hence this um, substitution notice that an innocent person had to die to make up for the sins um, of humanity. Um, but what it led to was great devotion to Jesus, who was seen to have offered himself freely. And this actually started to bring in a sense of divine love, of divine compassion, um, that this actually was what was powering the crucifixion. And it's that divine love that Beatrice now points Dante towards and she says that um, this mess really of vengeance and encounter vengeance um, appears to those who don't have the eyes to see more deeply into this whole situation um, because their eyes have not been kindled by the flames of love. So Dante is wanting his sight to be enlightened by this love and so expresses his question again um, this time with even more ferocity by saying but why would God even want to proceed in this way surely there was another means um, the implication I think is that Dante can see through this rather human account of God's supposed need for vengeance and I think it's almost as if he's saying to Beatrice, but can't you see that this account is so unsatisfactory? Which I'm sure Beatrice can. She's playing the trickster, ramping up the tension in Dante so that he is able to ascend and see more, which is what she illuminates now. And she begins the story again. She says that humanity does indeed share in the divine life, unmediated, because it's part and parcel of divine life, divine light, to unfold, to flow out, and that is the origins of creation. Part of that unmediated divine life in humanity is freedom of will, is the ability to align 
freely with, hum with divine life. And it's that freedom which has led humanity astray, for sure. Even a moment of self-reflection will reveal that. And the trouble with that, Beatrice explains, is that um, you know, a single flaw in this divine light um, is quite as devastating, almost as darkness itself, um, because it takes us away from the divine perfection. Um, you know, she doesn't use this analogy, but a flaw in a diamond makes it a flawed diamond as opposed to a perfect diamond, and so immediately puts it into a different category. So God is able to respond in one of two ways, she says. Either God could just offer clemency, offer mercy, um, as it were, rectify the wrong, um, which God, being God, could of course do. Um, or, Beatrice says, um, God could have left it to humanity to try to self-rectify, to try to iron out these flaws and so return to divine life once again. But it's quite clear that humanity isn't capable of doing that. And again, just a moment's reflection on, on pride or any other one of the um, things that cause us to move away from the divine, um, to stay in this abyss, trapped, as we'd seen on Mount Purgatory, um, can show the truth of that. But, she says to Dante, implicitly, don't get caught on it's got to be one or the other. Um, those kind of conundrums, paradoxes, are precisely what he's here to transcend. And she invites him instead to look into the abyss of God's beauty, God's love, God's wisdom, God's sight, um, God's capacities. Um, it's a very nice contrast, as it were, saying to him, but move your eyes from the abyss of human separation to the abyss of God's unity. And what you see if you look in that direction is, in fact, God doing what, in a way, God always does do, which is to continually pour out, unfold into creation, out of love, with beauty, shedding goodness everywhere. And that, she says, is how God has redeemed, in inverted commas, humanity. The incarnation Jesus becoming the God-man, is in fact a repeat of the original creation when Adam too was this mix of the divine and the human. And so this is marginalising, really, the crucifixion and bringing centre stage the incarnation. And it's a tremendous move, not only because it's kind of taking on the whole of certainly Western Christian theology since Augustine, but it's showing us that God did indeed respond to the seriousness of the fall of Adam. Um, didn't just, as it were, utter a kind of divine pardon, um, but did so in such a way as to repeat and reassert that which has always been the case anyway in creation, which is this commingling of the created order, the natural order, with the divine order, the uncreated order. It's actually a both and, not an either or response, that begins to appear to Dante in this sphere of Mercury. Um, you know, we might say that what God had done in mythological time with the creation of Adam, God now did 
in historical time in the person of Jesus that then becomes the truth for all humanity, revealed in a way as the timeless truth of all humanity, much as it was always revealed in the timeless truth of the original creation, that we are called to share in divine life, to participate in divine life. You know, we're not called to be robots that make mistakes and then just get kind of fixed by a divine mechanic. And we're called always both to know our own freedom fully, our own capacity fully to share in the divine life, even as that divine life joins with our co-creativity to lift us towards that which is our destiny, which is to bridge the mortal and immortal realms, the created and uncreated realms, the human and the divine, even as creation and the incarnation itself have done. I think we're left with, by the end of Canto 7, is a radically renewed vision of what God was doing in Jesus, this great central Christian question. And through this dialectical process that Dante has undergone with his burning questions and then new sight, leaves us with a sense that, in a way, Nothing's changed, even whilst everything's changed. God has continued to do what God always does. It's an extraordinarily harmonious and beautiful account of how the redemption can be refocused on the incarnation rather than the crucifixion. And therefore, God's continual unfolding act in creation is put centre stage coupled to our and nature's capacity to share and participate in that, even in the act of bridging the gulf that, for human beings at least, had opened up. And it's bridged that gulf without overwriting the freedom, because what it does is it reasserts once again that freedom, inviting us, even in this vision, kindled by the flames of love, seen now by Dante, to share in divine life. And sure enough, whilst this canto ends on that high note, we're going to see in the next canto how very dramatically and very immediately that is the case for Dante as he continues his ascent.